So the country's now evenly split on the issue of legalizing marijuana. These ballot initiatives that Jim mentioned, you know, in, in all three states, there's more people in favor than there are against. But it's, you know, uphill battle when push comes to shove because people get nervous as Election Day approaches. But even with the other drugs, you know, where some people would say legalize them like alcohol, but other people would at least say nobody should go to jail or prison for possessing a drug just for their own use. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And I'm Craig Williams, coming to you from Southern California, where the marine layer is burned off, and we've got a beautiful day. And I read a legal blog called May It Please the Court, and a book called How to Get Sued. Bob, we'd like to take this time to thank our sponsors, Clio, a web-based practice management software program for lawyers at goclio.com, AppRiver, an email and security web experts. You can find out more about them at appriver.com, and PC Law by LexisNexis. For a free trial, you can go to pclaw.com slash radio. Bob, I know you write a few blogs. Uh, I do. I write a blog called Law Sites, which is uh, about legal technology. And I also write a blog called Media Law, which is about media law. Surprisingly enough. Yeah. Well, um, you know, back in 1971, when you and I were... Uh, Not born yet. Younger. <laughs> uh, Richard Nixon declared a war on drugs, claiming that America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. Some 40 years later, we're still waging a war against drugs. In a recent speech at the Brookings Institution, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie claimed the war on drugs, while well-intentioned, has been a failure. And uh, Newark, New Jersey Mayor Cory Booker took to a forum on Reddit uh, recently where he wrote, the so-called war on drugs has not succeeded in making significant reductions in drug use, drug arrests, or violence. So is the war on drugs a failure? And what is the answer when it comes to putting an end to this 40-year-old uh, drug war in the United States? Today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to spotlight the controversial war on drugs as we explore the legalization of marijuana legislation, the rise in prescription drug use, sentencing reform, and really what needs to happen to legally eliminate this growing problem. And helping us do that uh, today are two uh, experts in this area who have very strong uh, opinions about the topic. First of all, let me invite, uh, let me join, welcome to the show, Ethan Nadelman. Ethan is the founder and executive director of the Drug Policy Alliance, the leading organization in the United States promoting alternatives to the war on drugs. In 1994, Nadelman founded the Linda Smith Center, a drug policy institute created with philanthropic support of George Soros in 2000. That growing uh, center merged with another organization to form the Drug Policy Alliance, which advocates for drug policies grounded in science, compassion, health, and human rights. You can find out more about the organization and about Ethan at drugpolicy.org. Uh, welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Ethan Nadelman. Thank you, Bob. It's good to be on. And Bob, also joining us today, we have Judge James P. Gray. Judge Gray served as a trial court judge here in Orange County, California from 1983 to 2010, and I've appeared before Judge Gray many times. 
And before he became a judge, he served as a staff judge advocate and criminal defense attorney in the Navy JAG Corps. He was also a federal prosecutor in Los Angeles and a civil litigation attorney in a private law firm. And in addition to being a Republican candidate for U.S. Congress in 1998, a Libertarian candidate for U.S. Senate in 2004, Judge Gray has also authored a book on the failed war on drugs titled Why Our Drug Laws Have Failed and What We Can Do About It. And Judge Jim Gray is also the 2012 Libertarian Party vice presidential nominee alongside presidential nominee Governor Gary Johnson. For more information on Judge Jim Gray, you can go to judgejimgray.com. And we'd like to welcome him to Lawyer to Lawyer. Welcome, Judge Gray. Well, Craig and Bob, thank you. And Ethan, it's nice to be with you. And, uh, you know, it's just an exciting time. Uh, It's clear that people are now beginning to understand the depth of the failure, the pervasiveness of the failure of this war on drugs. And it's a pleasure to talk with you and and, uh, and answer questions. Great. Well, I'm sure we've got a few of those this morning, but uh, let's start with Ethan. And uh, at the top of the show, Ethan, we've talked about the views of Governor Christie and, and Mayor Cory Booker. In your eyes, is this war on drugs a failure? Well, I mean, it is no question it's a, it's a failure. I mean, we spent over a trillion dollars in the last 40 years since Nixon launched his war on drugs. We've incarcerated millions of Americans. Millions of Americans are living with felony convictions these days. Uh, we've filled the prisons, I mean, to the point we, we increased by tenfold the number of people locked up behind bars on a drug charge in America from 50,000 back in the 80s to 500,000 now. We allowed hundreds of thousands of people to die of HIV AIDS because we were reluctant because of the drug war mentality to implement sensible public health policies. They made tens of millions of arrests for marijuana. And if you look around, drugs are just as available. In many places, they're just as cheap. We have more people dying of overdoses now than ever before. You look at the violence and criminality in Mexico and Central America and Colombia and Afghanistan and parts of Asia and Africa. And what you see, it's essentially like what we had with alcohol prohibition and Al Capone back in the 20s times 10, times 50. And I think more and more Americans are appreciating that. And Judge Gray, you've presided over many cases uh, throughout your career. Uh, what have you learned from the past 40 years? What is your perspective on this? Well, I, I just couldn't keep watching what was going on in my own courtroom, uh, churning low-level drug offenders through the system for no good purpose, uh, taking away their liberty, very expensive, both uh, in a human fashion as well as a financial one. And then you look around and see, you know, we only have so many resources in the in the justice system. And the tougher you get with regard to nonviolent drug offenses, literally the softer you get with regard to the prosecution of violent offenses. So we are prosecuting robbery, rape, and murder much less effectively now than we were uh, before 1980 when Ronald Reagan again ratcheted up the war on drugs. So it just simply doesn't work. And you you can look at the whole issue. And of the problems we have with drug drug harms, probably 90% is drug money harms uh, the, the related to prohibition, and only 10% is related to the drugs themselves. And we're just exacerbating the problems. Uh, Ethan mentioned the HIV-AIDS issue. Uh, certainly, you look at what's happened in Mexico or these other countries, 60,000 people have died of violent death in in Mexico since President Calderon began his own war on drugs down there. It has nothing to do with drugs. I mean, that's the issue. It has everything to do with drug money, and it's just our drug money that's doing it. So we simply must come up with a better better policy because 
Drug prohibition is the biggest failed policy in the history of our country, second only to slavery. And I know that sounds like a radical statement, but the more people see how its tentacles are involved pretty much in everything that's going wrong in our world today, they, I think, will agree. What if we just simply legalized drugs and taxed them, or legalized some drugs and taxed them, and, and kept others illegal, like some of the really bad ones? Well, you know, I think we are aiming in that direction. Let's start with marijuana. I mean, nobody really knows how we would legalize them as such, and actually it wouldn't be legalization, it would be regulation and control and taxing. But there are three initiatives uh, now on the ballot in November in three different states of Colorado, uh, Washington, and Oregon. I think that they will treat marijuana like alcohol. I think the chances of them passing are significant. Uh, Governor Johnson and I are going to be stumping for them. I know that Ethan will be as well. Uh, the, the reception is really good. We tried to put a regulate marijuana like wine initiative on the ballot here in California, but we're so much bigger we just couldn't come up with the money to get the, the necessary signatures. But we did submit it to the Attorney General here, and through the Attorney General's office, State of California, they actually publicized that if this were to pass, we would literally save tens of millions of dollars every year in California alone for enforcement costs and literally generate hundreds of millions of dollars each year in revenue. So wouldn't it be nicer to take this huge amount of money away from juvenile gangs and Mexican drug cartels and other thugs to start paying our firefighters and our teachers and fixing our roads? So that's where we're going. There's no question but what we will get there. It's just a question of when. Well, well, how do we get there? I mean, Ethan, is, is, the, is there anything in our current drug policies that works? Is there, is there anything that you think uh, should, should stay or be strengthened, or does it need to all be thrown out the window? Well, I think the basic notion is that we have to shift from a fundamentally prohibitionist approach that relies heavily on the criminal justice system to one in which we rely much more on, the, on, on a health-based approach and a decriminalization approach. The way I would frame it is to say that what we need to do is to reduce the role of criminalization and the criminal justice system in drug control policy as much as possible while protecting public health and safety. And all the evidence we have from looking at what's been going on in Europe for the last 20 or 30 years, from Portugal to Switzerland to the Netherlands to elsewhere, from looking at the experiences of marijuana, from looking at American history when most of these drugs were legally available back in the late 19th century, most of what I see persuades me and many other, you know, uh, sort of very thoughtful people from a wide range of backgrounds, disciplines, and political perspectives persuades us that, in fact, we could dramatically reduce our reliance on the criminal justice system in drug control while still protecting public health and safety. You know, as Jim said, as Judge Gray said before, marijuana is the easy case. I mean, you know, marijuana, it's, it's a drug. People can get addicted to it. Kids shouldn't use it. You know, if you have a mental problem, don't use it. But the bottom line is nobody's ever died from an overdose. It's by and large less dangerous than alcohol and cigarettes. 100 million Americans have already used it. It's the least problematic drug out there. And that's not just me saying that. That's a former administrative law judge of the Federal Drug Enforcement Administration saying that. So the country's now evenly split on the issue of legalizing marijuana. These ballot initiatives that Jim mentioned, you know, in, in all three states, there's more people in favor than there are against, but it's, you know, uphill battle when push comes to shove because people get nervous as Election Day approaches. But even with the other drugs, you know, where some people would say legalize them like alcohol, but other people would at least say nobody should go to jail or prison for possessing a drug just for their own use. 
Nobody needs to be uh, forced into, into jails and prisons as a way to try to make them be drug-free. And when you look at what the Europeans are doing in terms of allowing heroin addicts who have tried to quit in all sorts of means and not succeeded, allowing the people who are determined to get their drugs, whether they're legal or illegal, to obtain them from legal sources. That's what the Europeans have been doing, beginning to do with heroin and heroin addicts. And I think that's the sort of approach that we really need to expand in this country. Give us the thought on uh, what your thoughts are on legalizing other drugs besides marijuana. I mean, there's there's certainly that's an easy case, but where do we go on on the really hard? Yeah, on heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine. Here's my base. I mean, my organization, Drug Policy Alliance, basically we represent the spectrum of people from those who would legalize everything to those who feel uncomfortable even legalizing marijuana, but basically think we should significantly roll back the role of the criminal justice system. I would say the consensus tends to be legalize marijuana with the other drugs. It really boils down to a few things, and I sort of said this before. You remember, even as public opinion for legalizing marijuana has jumped dramatically in recent years, according to the Gallup poll, 36% of Americans were in favor of legalizing marijuana in 2006. It was up to 50% as of last year. That's a more rapid transition in public opinion than we've even seen on gay marriage. But during that same period of time, we've not seen a really significant increase in support for outright legalization of other drugs. So what that means is that there is no slippery slope from legalizing marijuana to other drugs. If you look at the Netherlands, people tend to put marijuana in a separate category from other drugs. So what it essentially means with the other drugs is that the notion of outright legalization, like we have with alcohol or cigarettes, is highly unlikely anytime in the foreseeable future. Instead, what we need to do is to end the practice, to, to, to end the, the criminalization of personal possession of drugs, to allow drug addicts to obtain their drugs from legal sources, clinics and such. That's not legalization because it's still regulated and not everybody can get it, right? But that's, that's a way of, of, of undermining the black market and all the other problems associated with the illegal, illegality of drugs. And thirdly, just to be as creative as we can be in rolling back our reliance on the criminal justice system. There's no basis. There's no basis ethically, scientifically, or in any other way for locking up drug dealers for longer periods of time than we lock up second-degree murders and rapists, right? And there's no, this whole notion of these drug-free school zones you hear about, there's no evidence that they deter drug dealing, have any impact except to lock up massive numbers of mostly young and, and, and black and brown people in this country. So there's a whole host of ways that we can roll back the prison system, the criminal justice system, and get much more sensible in terms of regulating the distribution and availability of these drugs, even without going to full-scale legalization of the other drugs. And Judge Gray, in your background, I mean, you've not only been on the bench, but you've, you've been a prosecutor. Uh, what, what can the criminal justice system do about this? I'm not, I'm not talking about imprisonment, but I mean, do drug courts work? Are, are there alternatives within the criminal justice system that uh, we should be pursuing? Well, certainly. And, and we should get back in the criminal justice system to the, what it was designed for, and that is to hold people accountable for their actions, for what they do, but not what they put into their bodies. And you can go back to that really fine actor, Robert Downey Jr., who was always going to have a heroin problem, and he's going to have that craving. But it makes as much sense to put Robert Downey Jr. in jail for that issue as it would have Betty Ford in jail for her alcohol problem. You know, it's the same thing. It's a medical issue. But Robert Downey Jr., Betty Ford, you or I drive a motor vehicle while impaired by, you name it, marijuana, alcohol, methamphetamines, whatever, that's a crime. 
What's the difference? And that's easy, too, because now by their actions, they're putting our safety at risk. So bring people with problem usages closer to medical professionals that can help them, like Ethan is saying, and if people do things that put other people's safety at risk, bring them to me as a judge. But today, in fact, the year 2010, we arrested nationwide something like 850,000 people for marijuana offenses, and of those, 88% were just for possession, not for distribution, not for growing, but just for possession. Enormously expensive, both in financial terms as well as human terms, and it simply doesn't work. So if we were to regulate and control marijuana and even some of these other drugs that, that uh, we look at Switzerland's example, we look at Portugal's example, but if we were to regulate and control them, today it would make marijuana and other drugs less available for children than they are now. Why? Because it's, at least with alcohol, you have the government asking for ID, but you don't have these thugs and other illegal dealers doing anything of the kind. So we couldn't do it worse if we tried. Talk about Switzerland for a minute. Problem heroin users can go to medical doctors and actually get a prescription in Switzerland. It's been happening since the late 1990s. They're more healthy. They're not involved with crime. They're 50% higher employment rate with them. They're starting to pay their taxes, support their children and themselves. In Portugal, they decriminalized all drugs. And all every drug czar we've had in our history in our country we probably have a coronary because they keep saying, oh, we'd become a nation of drug zombies if we were to change our system. Well, that's not what happened in Portugal. Drug usage remained the same, but problem drug usage went down by 50%. Why? Because now if a police officer sees someone that's using or under the influence, yes, they're given a citation, but not to come to judges like me, but to go to medical professionals. They sit down with them and say, you know, Charlie, what's your drug usage? What can we do to help you? Problem drug usage has gone down by 50%. So just like Ethan says, that's the approach we should take. It will be much more effective uh, and certainly much more humane. Well, the argument against that uh, process is that last year 27,000 people died in the United States from accidental overdoses. So how do you combat this problem here where people are doctor shopping or going to pill mills to get prescription drugs and abusing them or, or turning around and dealing them? How is legalization going to solve that problem? First of all, there's no solution for almost any of these things. They're only resolutions. You can just manage the problem because some people with alcohol or anything else are going to have problems. But if you'll notice when we repealed alcohol prohibition, at least the quality control problems, what I call the bathtub gin problems, went away. You know, because in an illegal market, then you have quality control. So that's many of the overdoses. They're not caused, for example, by the heroin particularly. They're caused by the unknown strength of the heroin and the impurities in the heroin. So if you start manufacturing them under more uh, conditions of, 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 of safety and security, uh, people will not die in nearly the numbers as they would otherwise. And, you know, you don't spread AIDS because you have clean needles. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a panoply of things. Uh, so the regulated market is far better than the unregulated market. To the degree that, and I, I say and I mean it, the biggest oxymoron of our day is the, the term controlled substances. Because as soon as you prohibit something, you give up all of your control whatsoever about licensing, about place of sale, quantities, qualities, age restrictions. You give up all of those to the bad guys. So we have no controls at all. It just doesn't make sense. And Ethan, what, what's the basis for making these kind of, you know, 
why do the drug czars and why is it that the United States seems to be just hell bent on launching a drug on a war on drugs when we have these international communities, as Judge Gray has cited, that are being successful with another alternative program? Is this a moral issue for the United States or religious? Where does this come from? Well, you know, I'll tell you, it's obviously complicated. One could spend hours answering that question. But it's interesting to notice the evolution. If one looks closely at what Obama's drugs are, has been doing and saying, what you see is that it's actually not just he, but even his preceding drugs are, even Bush's drugs are, did not want to use the language or the rhetoric of the war on drugs. They understand that most people understand it's failed and believe it can't work. Now, what they're still continuing to do to some extent, even while they change the rhetoric and while even while they adopt more of the rhetoric that sort of Jim and I use in terms of treating addiction as a health issue and reducing reliance on the criminal justice system, unfortunately, the basic policies are changing modestly, but not enough. So you see, for example, that now Obama, unlike his predecessors, uh, Clinton and the Bushes, they're actually really beginning to treat AIDS more as a health issue. They've got a long way to go, but there's some move in that direction. They're beginning to take on this overdose crisis. They're beginning to talk a bit, although it's shocking that Obama hasn't found a way to talk about the problem of massive incarceration in the United States or the racial injustice associated with that. But they are beginning to move a bit away from this heavy notion that we have to lock up everybody who uses drugs. Is this grounded in moralisms of various sorts? Of course. I would say it's a moral. It's not grounded in morality because the moral perspective, as Jim was saying before, is if you use drugs, you don't hurt anybody else, leave them alone. But there's a large amount of ignorance, fear, prejudice, and bigotry, as well as a certain amount of profit that drives this war on drugs. And that's the things that we're constantly trying to uproot, to educate, to get people to think in new ways. And the fact of the matter is there has been a significant shift in American public opinion, especially on the issues of marijuana legalization and to some very good extent on the need to reduce incarceration in America. We need to take a short break. Uh, Stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment for more on the success or failure of the war on drugs. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud, and is it a difficult process? No, with most cloud computing providers, moving uh, your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And uh, even if you have an existing, uh, a legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a a web-based practice management system like Clio, there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process. So most firms can be up and running to the cloud in less than in the cloud in less than five minutes and can have their data imported uh, in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. 
or go to westlegaledcenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. That's perfect. The office can wait. Protect your firm's email with AppRiver. Send confidential emails with confidence using AppRiver's CypherPost Pro email encryption service. With CypherPost Pro, you'll control who sees your messages, and a patented delivery slip will show you when they're received and opened. There's no hardware or software to manage. You can cancel any time, and you get a 30-day free trial. All backed by AppRiver's phenomenal care. Visit AppRiver.com, that's A-P-P-River.com, or call 866-223-4645. Promote yourself online with Legal Talk Network by becoming a featured lawyer. Your featured lawyer profile lets potential clients and referral attorneys get to know you in a five-minute podcast interview with Legal Talk Network, plus your photo, your bio, and your firm's contact info. Be part of the most progressive online legal network anywhere. Just call Legal Talk Network at 781-551-9960, that's 781-551-9960, or by emailing admin at legaltalknetwork.com. Be a Legal Talk Network featured lawyer now. Tired of all the headaches of running your law firm? Want to spend your time doing what really matters? Then you need PC Law. PC Law from LexisNexis is the legal industry's best-selling matter, billing, and accounting software. It has never been easier to manage your law firm and serve your clients. Get back to doing what matters to you. For a free trial, go to PCLaw.com slash radio. That's PCLaw.com slash radio. Or call us at 800-685-2161 today. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. Our guests today are Ethan Nadelman. He's the founder and executive director of the Drug Policy Alliance. And Judge Jim Gray, the author of Why Our Drug Laws Have Failed and What We Can Do About It. Well, Ethan, before the break, we were talking about some of the morality and some of the the religious and legal issues. But there have been some victories uh, on the war on drugs here in the United States. Marijuana decriminalization in Rhode Island, improving syringe access in New Jersey. What are the ones do you cite? And tell us about the ones that we've got sure. so far. No, I appreciate that. I mean, look, I've been working on this. I mean, my, in my life, I started as an academic teaching at Princeton late 80s, early 90s, and speaking and writing about this. And since 94, I've been building what's essentially the leading organization in the country advancing these alternatives. So something like 17 states have now legalized medical marijuana, and we've played a key role in many of those. There are now roughly 15 states where possession of small amounts of marijuana is decriminalized. Governor Schwarzenegger signed a bill a couple years ago that basically reduced the penalty for marijuana to uh, essentially a traffic ticket, and a ballot initiative was uh, was uh, won in 2008 in Massachusetts to do that, and quite recently, Governor Cuomo said he wants to do the same thing, and we would have turned that into law, but, few, uh, but for a few of the um, Republicans in the state Senate. So we've had a real shift in actual policy on the marijuana issue, although unfortunately, the police keep finding ways to arrest people. So, you know, they're still arresting something like 800,000 people a year on, um, for possession of small amounts of marijuana, even as the laws are becoming more and more decriminalized. 
On other fronts, you now have needle exchange programs in hundreds of cities around the country. Uh, you know, they are legal. Republican governors have signed these bills. Christie just signed one in New Jersey. Uh, Pataki in years in New York in years past. Schwarzenegger. So it's still far too little, not reaching nearly enough people, nothing compared with what they have in Europe and Australia, but there's progress. Then another thing, there's bills, what we call Good Samaritan bills, so that if somebody has a friend who's overdosed, you know, the most important thing is that they call 911 right away, just like they would for a heart attack, and not wait, because it's when you wait that people die. And these Good Samaritan laws say that if you call 911, that you will not be arrested um, for drug possession because you're calling to save somebody's life. So New Mexico and New York and a range of other states have passed those laws. And then all around the country, you see Republican and Democratic legislatures and governors endorsing legislation, putting into effect legislation to reduce incarceration, putting people in prison for shorter periods of time, trying to divert them from the criminal justice system before they go to prison, trying to help them once they get out or to get them out more quickly. So it's not just Democratic governors like Jerry Brown in California or Cuomo in New York. It's also Christie in New Jersey and Mitch Daniels in Indiana and Governor Deere in, uh, I think it's Georgia. I mean, everybody's seeing that this is a fiscal and human waste to be locking up so many people for nonviolent, uh, you know, drug, drug-related offenses. So there's a lot of momentum. I just wish we could get it going even faster. You know, something I wonder, we talk a lot about this dichotomy between treatment and incarceration. We, we talk about the fact that uh, substance uh, abuse is, is a health issue and not necessarily a, a criminal justice issue. But, but hasn't the healthcare system in this country been somewhat complicit in, in kind of perpetuating uh, uh, a wrongheaded approach to this? I mean, the, the, the uh, health insurers for a long time uh, didn't cover treatment uh, or, uh, you know, treated it as as, as, as a, a mental illness, in a sense, rather than a, a health issue. I mean, is the healthcare system uh, you know, at all you, complicit it's, in it's this? Complicated, right? Because on the one hand, we want to treat this more as a healthcare issue. There's been problems about getting proper insurance coverage, although Obama's health plan does provide for that. There's also been a problem that you know drug treatment is not perfect. I mean, there's a lot of people involved in drug treatment providing not very good drug treatment. There's a lot of drug treatment that has more to do with drug-free ideology and abstinence-only programs than it does with actually helping people. So, you know, we're talking about a lot of drug treatment isn't even medical. A lot of drug treatment is about helping people learn basic skills, like how to to read and write properly and how to, you know, uh, show up for a job and how to, you know, basic social skills. It doesn't even fall into the kind of medical category. I think one of the positive things about the Obama health care bill in this respect is that it does provide for more and more drug treatment to be provided in the context of ordinary medical care. And in many respects, you know, we always talk about beds for addicts and treatment centers. But the fact of the matter is that as with alcohol and cigarettes, what's most needed is not segregated drug treatment, except for the really hard cases. What's most needed is intelligent and thoughtful medical professionals working with people to help them deal with these sorts of problems. And Judge Gray, there's, uh, there's been some discussion of a global initiative when it comes to the war on drugs. What's that about, and, and how do we go about participating in that? Well, there, there is a movement. Uh, my goodness, we're seeing it with, with several presidents from Mexico, former presidents, and uh, the current President Molina in Guatemala, and 
other countries as well. The thing that's prohibiting that is what they call the Single Convention Treaty, which is a United Nations treaty that actually we sponsored. Uh, and that says almost literally that no country as a signator can back off the criminalization uh, of, of these drugs. But I assure you, if the United States were to back off this and say, okay, no, it's no longer valid, every country can do what they feel is best for their own country, literally the world would heave a sigh of relief. But, but we are seeing some positive things, and Ethan was mentioning some, but there's one overwhelmingly negative thing that we are seeing, and that is President Obama's uh, unscaled attacks on medical marijuana dispensaries, even in those 17 states. I was in Oakland, California, just yesterday, uh, where they are closing down a harborside medical marijuana dispensary, basically, according to the, attorney, the uh, United States attorney, because it's the largest one. Well, you know, and they're they're doing it in I would call a kind of disreputable fashion. Instead of charging people with a violation of law and letting them have a jury of their peers in a trial, they are in effect getting to the landlord and telling the landlord that if if you permit this to go on your property, we're going to forfeit your property. Other ways, they go to banks and say, you know, that your bank account uh, uh, is is profits of illegal dr drug activity, so we're going to seize them, or they're going to. Uh, actually, for the IRS, not allow them to take uh, write-offs for, for various expenses. So we are seeing a lot of negativity there to the degree that, uh, and we tell people very openly, uh, if you want to have any medical marijuana dispensaries in the country, the only person that will allow that to happen and let them survive is Governor Gary Johnson for president because it won't matter if Mr. Romney or Mr. Obama are elected. Only Governor Gary Johnson will, will actually uh, permit the survival of any medical marijuana dispensary in our country. It's that stark. Unfortunately, we're about out of time for today's show. Uh, and uh, before we conclude, we do want to give each of you an opportunity to give your closing thoughts on this and also let our listeners know how they can follow up with you if they'd like to do that. Uh, so, uh, Judge Jim Gray, let's start with you. Well, and thank you. This is a really exciting time when Governor Gary Johnson asked me to be his running mate. Uh, he is the libertarian candidate for president of the United States, the most qualified person to be president that I know of. Uh, he did a marvelous job in New Mexico in his two terms, left the, the state with a billion-dollar surplus, stood up in 1999 uh, as a sitting governor in favor of a reassessment of this entire war on drugs. That's the type of courage he has. So I'm proud to be his running mate, and you can go to our website, GaryJohnson2012.com, I may also say, uh, Craig and Bob, uh, other than it's been nice to be with you, I have written another book that maybe your listeners would be interested in. It's called Wearing the Robe, The Art and Responsibilities of Judging in Today's Courts, because you really can't be an effective litigator unless you see what judges are thinking and how they're going about trying to resolve disputes. So, so I'm proud of that book, and it certainly has a chapter with regard to the failed war on drugs as well, but it gets into pretty much everything I can think of with regard to being a judge, and it's just kind of fun. It's out there, and I'm proud of it. Good, and that's, Great, uh, that's on you. your website also, judgejimgray.com. Uh, and that's correct, All yes, of your books listed, listed there. Uh, and, and Ethan Adelman, your, your closing thoughts. Yeah, well, I should say, first of all, you know, as head of a, a nonprofit organization, Drug Policy Alliance, we don't endorse political candidates, but Gary Johnson and, and Jim Gray have been friends and allies for a long time, and I think that the role that they are playing in this campaign and putting out the issue around the drug war is absolutely spectacular. You know, I, I think it's, I won't quite agree with Jim when he says that, you know, that, that President Obama is driving
driving the crackdown on medical marijuana. In fact, what's driving it are very aggressive federal prosecutors who cannot be legally or politically real, you know, reeled in by Washington. But what Obama is doing is providing a failure, is showing, demonstrating a lack of leadership, a failure of leadership on this issue. So speaking with respect to Drug Policy Alliance, you know, as I say, go to our website, drugpolicy.org. Join, become a member, get involved. Yeah, every two years, we have the leading conference in the world on this issue. It'll be in Denver in the fall of 2013. You can follow me on Twitter at Ethan.Nadelman. But look, the only way this thing's going to change is with more and more people getting involved, getting knowledgeable, putting this out in the media, calling talk radio, writing to politicians, standing up in one way or another. And quite frankly, the other way, as we saw with the gay rights movement, is for all the millions or tens of millions of Americans who use marijuana or other illegal drugs, but do, do so in a responsible way, in a moderate way, the same way a moderate alcohol user consumes alcohol, one way or another, those people need to find a way to make themselves known. And I know it's not easy because it's illegal to be in possession of a drug. There's drug testing. There's social opprobrium. But as we saw with the gay rights movement, at some point, you know, the people, the consumers who are responsible in their own lives need to stand up and self-identify. Ultimately, we're going to see the drug war end because the absurdity and cost of it just become overwhelming, not just to people who care about drugs and drug users, but to a whole swath of the population. But that's where we're headed. It's happening outside the United States. It's growing within the United States. It's a multi-generational struggle, but the wind's at our back these days. Well, thank you so Great. much. Well, both, thank you very much for this. Bob, what are your, your closing thoughts on this? Uh, well, no surprise to you, I'm sure, Craig, but I, I, I think both of our guests have, have, are, are hitting it right on the head uh, here in, in describing this problem. I think the war, the so-called war on drugs has been a, a failure. The criminal justice system is a failure in the way it deals with, with drugs. Uh, you know, we need to we need to look at repealing mandatory sentencing. Uh, we need to look at expanding treatment both in within and, and outside the system, uh, and uh, and in any number of, of reforms. Uh, it's you know, I, I think they've 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 hit they've described it well today, and I really appreciate their their insights. Craig, what about you? Well, I, I think that Judge Grabe said it right when he said this is the modern day prohibition. And we've had 40 years to try and make this work. And everybody that I know in private industry in the United States has always said to me, if it doesn't work, try something else. Well, we've had 40 years of a failed policy, and I can't understand why the Republicans uh, aren't seeing that and aren't seeing making the effort to try and change this to something that will work. I think the proposals that have been uh, floated today are sound proposals. And we ought to give them a try because we're certainly not being successful with what we're doing. I hate to say it, but I think a lot of our lawmakers are, are, don't, are lack a little bit of courage about this issue. I, I think they are often responsive to what they think what they think the public wants to hear in terms of getting tough on crime and cracking down on sentencing. And uh, they, they do uh, what's politically popular, but not often what's, uh, what's the right policy. Yeah, we need to get some people with courage in there. I, I completely agree. Well, Bob, uh, I want to remind our listeners that you can now get CLE credit through West Legal Ed Center for listening to Select Legal Talk Network podcasts. You can go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and click on West Legal Ed Center. You can also find all of our Legal Talk Network shows on iTunes. And we've got an Android app where you can access all of the Legal Talk Network shows, including this one, Lawyer to Lawyer, on your phone. And we hope to have an iPhone app shortly. Check it out. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com. 
We'll be back again next week with another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Bob, we'll see you then. We'll see you then. Thanks again to our guests. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.